Hello and welcome to episode 108 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And join me once again is a somber League Freak. You can find on Twitter at League Freak. Hey, go, mate. Somber? I'm still <laughs> cleaning it up. I had to get out a wet towel and everything. It was a oh. fantastic night of Rugby League action. Historic. Historic. Um, it's been a big day. Uh, we've seen PNG absolutely just brutalise the uh, Great Britain Lions on the in the Lions' last test of their four game tour, and they beat them was at twenty eight ten. Yep. Um, that was after Great Britain led ten six at half time. Just yeah. great, and Papua New Guinea had one one player on their side who played in the NRL this year, and that was Alex Johnson at fullback, and he had a good game. But. Well, uh, Man, the Lions just—they were—they were tanked after. I mean, as we're saying off air, yeah, they were tanked after half an hour. Yeah, it was weird to see. Um, it was, and, and when I saw the temperature leading into the to the game, it was thirty degrees. We know what the Poms are like with the temperature. And as you had pointed out in a, a tweet early this week, which was just a beautiful tweet, they got off the plane and they'd been in Papua New Guinea for like an hour or so and they all looked bright red. They all looked like they were very, very hot. Yeah. Um, and, I, the, you know, the heat, I think, just got to them because they got to about the 35th minute and all of a sudden they were done. And you could just see it. And, and I had somebody tweet me and say that, you know, PNG was on at $13 at that point on the live betting. And I was like, get on them because they're, you know, Great Britain's done. Of course, I didn't put money on it, <sighs> but uh, yeah, it never works that way, does it? But <laughs> yeah, I had people saying, well, hey, you're a genius. How'd you work that out? And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> Should have done it. Um, yep. Just a woeful tour. So there's been a few, quite a few criticisms about the tour, and they, they range all over the place. Um, so we'll go through a few of the more common ones. So the first one is um, Wayne Bennett was the problem because he picked a squad that had too many NRL players in it and you know, Aussie-born players, and he hadn't been watching the Super League and he didn't get all the right players. Um, there's, I find there's a little, a tiny little bit of merit to it, but mm-hmm. I'm not not with the entire squad, just a few. Like I, I yeah. would have had Regan Grace in the side ahead of McGilvery or Hall. Yeah. Hands down, I would not have picked Lomax as a fullback because I don't, I don't think he's played there for much of the last two or three seasons. He's been playing at five eight, so you should have just, they should have just left him there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't pick him ahead of Widdop, do you? Well, no. But that's the thing. How many halves did they take? Hastings, that... Widdop, Austin, Lomax, Williams. You're playing four games and you've got five halves. Just why? See, part of me thinks, right, that there's either two things that jump out at me. Either Wayne Bennett was given the squad, and people are saying, oh, look, of course he picks his own squad and stuff like that. I wouldn't be shocked if Wayne Bennett, for the most part, was... He would have had a lot of import, but I think there would have been players that would have been suggested to him at some level. And... You know, they're looking to the future as well. Like, they wanted to know how Hastings would go. They wanted to know how Williams would go in the halves as well. But as you say, there's only four games to do it. So there's a lot that I think Bennett was asked to do in this series. I wouldn't have picked Hall 
you know, that's the one that jumps out for sure. Um, but it, like at the same time, I don't think that there is a whole host of players lining up back, back in Great Britain who are going to come in and be the golden bullet for this side. You know, like I've heard people saying, oh, there's better players left at home. I haven't really seen this great list of better players that were left back in Great Britain. That's fair enough. Look, I'd say that there, there would have been better players left back in England, but whether they were better by enough to make a difference is another question, and I don't think the answer to that is they would have helped them win. I think the, the quality back home would have helped them be more competitive. I don't think it would have been enough to get them the win. Well, it's clear they the don't games. have halves. Like, they just do not have halves. I mean, they've got Widdop, mm. um, who I think in this series was pretty pretty poor for the most part. But, I mean, he's coming off of basically two seasons of just terrible injuries. And being um, coached by Paul McGregor. Yeah, so all of his attacking, you know, instincts are dead on the inside. Uh, and then you had Hastings, who I think... You know, considering he was going, he was playing behind a beaten pack in four straight games, didn't do anything that made me really disappointed in how he played. But at the same time, I think he is just a Super League level player. Um, George Williams played a little bit in this last game, and from what I saw of him, I'm like, there's nothing there. Uh, Blake uh, Austin. Uh, well, I'll, I'll just say with George Williams. It yeah. was impossible for him to get into this game because he came off, came on off the bench when his pack was decimated and and broken down and out of gas against That's a Papua New Guinea side that was just steamrolling through them. So he was never going to have any value whatsoever in this game. And I don't know why you'd bring a halfback off the bench either. That, to me, is stupid. It was. It was stupid. And, look, you make a good point. You do make a very good point. Uh, maybe I'm being too too tough on him. I mean, he come on and, and he he played like a player that was on a hiding to nothing. Like, he, he really yeah. stepped into that role very well. Blake Austin, who's playing on the wing, I've got to say, unbelievable effort by him. And when you, when you looked at the urgency he played the game with, there was something about it that he really stood out in this great Bruton team. And it was weird. It was like you could see that... Uh, I don't even know how you'd explain it. The things that make Australian rugby league so great, that that urgency that he played every single moment of the game with was there. And he's playing way out of position. And yet, once again, he was about their best player on the field. Like, And that's not a big, big effort, considering how his teammates played. But, yeah, he was their best player by a long way in this game, I think. And I'm willing to say on the overall tour, I think him and Graham, and then it's daylight between those two and everyone yeah. else. I'd, I'd have Graham as their best player of the tour. Yep. Um, I don't know why Austin, well, they didn't just say, you know what, Gareth, thanks for your time, mate. Go have a break and just let Austin play 5 for this game. He would have been, he looks so much more threatening. Well, just actually think... had the ball in his hand. He looked more threatening. And he, he looked... He looked to be uncomfortable at times still on the wing, especially when fielding kicks. Thankfully for him, the uh, the Papua New Guineans didn't kick to him as much as the as the Kiwis did. Mm. So he got a bit of a reprieve there. But I think I would have liked to have seen him at six in this game. 
I, I would have too, and I would have liked to have seen Widdop at fullback. I, I yeah. Just to see if he's still got it at fullback. Because Lomax is a zero at fullback. He is... I would never pick him for Great Britain again. The effort that I saw out of Lomax was absolutely atrocious. He didn't... He was not a threat at all. When he'd come into the Great Britain backline in attack, he offered nothing. Um, I, I just don't think he's a test player in any sense of the word. And I just would never pick him again at any international game. He's uh, he's a zero. I, I don't mind him if he's going to get picked, but he should never be in the back five. He, he barely plays in the back five these days. He is an outright half. You wouldn't go and pick George Williams and put him at fullback. So why do that with with Lomax? I don't get it. It's just it's nonsense. He's not the best fullback in this squad they picked. Yeah, I would yeah. I would have Hastings ahead of him. Look, I think that um, Blake Austin would have played better at fullback than he did. I just think he was maybe their worst player on tour, and that's saying something. Well, I would have tolerated having um, probably McGilvery at fullback, to be honest. Yeah, any like. He can, catch, he can catch it. He can do decent kick returns. That's pretty much all he's got. That would have been handy for them. But Lomax is... He's, he's very Matt Moylan-like. He's not a fullback. He's a half. He doesn't do kick returns properly. He's so-so under the high ball. I don't know why they persevered, but it was just a... It's just madness. Um, the, the pack was... Wow. On paper, the pack looks competitive, but they're they're almost shying away from the contact other than Graham and Walmsley, I think. He was pretty good for most of the games. And, He's a little and bit Philbin, quiet tonight. I think yeah, Philbin, Philbin too as well. He he yeah. was of he was he should be starting for England from now on. I I hope he's a pom. Um but yeah, he was fantastic. Walmsley, I think in this game the heat really got to him. Yeah, well, um, mind you, he had to do an awful lot more work too because Graham went off injured early. Yeah, and um, look, have you ever seen Graham get knocked out like that? No, neither no, have I. Had to be a hell of a hit. Mm. It's, I think it just it's it's one of those ones where it just got him in that that sweet spot to get knocked out, so to speak. Um, yeah, he was he was gone straight away. But the yeah, the rest of their pack, I mean, um, forget you know. It's just terrible, yeah. And at Hodgson, absolutely atrocious. Um, Bateman, I'm, 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 nothing. I'm torn, on, I'm torn on Hodgson because when he does play well, he's very, very good. But I, I haven't seen him do his best performances playing for Great Britain. They're all been playing for Canberra. And I think he's overrated for the Raiders. I think you could get a bunch of uh, hookers into that Canberra side and they do better than he does. Well, I, I don't know. I think I think he's all right at the NRL level. I just think I just think he's for some reason, and maybe it's because the pack is not as you know they're not as dominant. I guess the the English pack as they used to be. Uh, Thomas Burgess looks like a plotter. Ah, oh, he's done. It's really weird. The him and George Burgess. Like uh, I, I wrote an article. I think it was about six years ago, and I said George Burgess will end up being the best front rower in the whole game. You know, he had size, he had mobility, good footwork and all that. And they've just, they've, it's like 
I think that him and his brother are playing worse than they did when they were youngsters. Yeah, it's, they they peaked really early and mm. really fast, and then plateaued for a while. Mm. And maybe we've got to wait till they're thirty. <laughs> <laughs> the, the old Matthew Johns, that yeah. your peak is at your thirty. Um, it, there was so look, I can I can put some level of blame on Bennett for some of the lineups that he picked for these four games. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, I, despite that, one thing that I can't blame him entirely for mm. is effort. Like, you can't expect a, a coach to make every player put in 100% effort. A fair bit of that responsibility has to come from the players. And tonight, we saw, especially in the second half, there was no fight in the in the in the British team. No, like they came out and they were tired, but they didn't look like they were going to be committed. That try, that um, God, I forgot his name now. The um, the hooker for Papua New Guinea, mm-hmm. uh, Papi scored. Mm-hmm. We just picked that ball and went for a scoop from dummy half and just ran past a marker. Whitehead put out a lazy arm. The second marker just wasn't even paying attention, and he just raced away forty meters and scored. Um. Shouldn't be scoring tries like that against a tier one nation in any test. That was woeful defence. And that just showed that the commitment had gone. They gave up. They were already on the plane home. Yeah, and, and like, I, I think Papua New Guinea were a little bit unlucky in that in that first half, they didn't play real smart, you know, and, and they started to play a little smarter towards the half time, But, yeah, I, I think that they let the occasion get to them a little bit early on. Um, but, but, you know, th- that that runaway try really signalled like, and I said, in this second half, they, they're just going to tear them up around the ruck area. And that's what they did. And they really stood up to this this Great Britain pack who was bigger than they are, like physically bigger than they are by quite some way, and just put it on them. And the Great Britain pack folded. And I think that a lot of the reputations that some of these British players have, it's not justified because when it comes down to it, when you come into a test match or a big game and you fail time and time again, at some point that's the player you are. And I don't want to hear about reputations and stuff like this. You know, these players, I mean, Hill, he's done. Burgess gives you nothing. Whoa, Hodgson fails. Bateman is a he's another failure. Elliot Whitehead is the most middle of the road forward I've ever seen in my life. James Graham, God bless him, he's got a bloody, you know, he's got a big engine, but he's getting on now. And I'd like Luke Thompson, please go home. Alex Wormsley, you know, the, the, Alex Wormsley and Philbin should be starting for them for England next time around because these other players they're done. Like, I just mm. think that they're so overrated. And if you're, like, the look at the results. The results are everything. You have to go just by the results. If you don't want to go by my eye test, just look at the results, and the results say it all. They got beaten in every single match they played. They could barely score a point. They never played any platform for their backs at all. Like, they were just decimated. Uh, yeah, and look, I've got to say... I think it's time we start discussing whether Gareth Woodham's overrated. Look, I I think I worry about him because he's coming off that, the couple of seasons where he's been injured, and that's got to take an, a toll on you. 
Um, when he's at when he was at his best, he was fantastic. But he hasn't had a good whole season of football since then. And I think he made the move to go back to Super League at the right time. He'll be able to play for another eight years if he wants in Super League. I was worried he'd done his shoulder again in this test match. Yeah, I saw that trauma. too. Yeah, because yeah, if he'd have done his shoulder again, it might have been, you know, all over Red Road for his career. But, mm. <laughs> yeah, thankfully it, it wasn't that. Um, I think he, he did get to play the last seven games of the NRL season this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he would have had probably better fitness than anybody else, given that he was he would have been relatively fresh. He hasn't been through a 20-odd 20, 20 game season. He'd only played 10 games for the year, and you know it was the first three and then the last seven. Yeah. Um, and obviously with the Dragons being so trash, he didn't have to play in the finals. He had another month off there. Yeah. I expected him to be a bit sharper and a bit more energetic in attack, and he just looked pedestrian. He did, yeah. He did. Um, and at some point, you, you, you are the player that you are. And that worries me about Widdop because if they haven't got him, they've got no one in the halves. Yeah. yeah. So I, that's the thing. They, they took over all these halves and you're still sitting there scratching your head going, who do they pick? Well, this is the big key for me, right? And I've said this after a lot of the test series they've had. What, did, what do you learn out of this test series to improve on? And in other test series, there's been things that I believe lessons there that they could build upon, and they never did. But this test series, like, what do you get out of this test series? Because I look at this test series, and the only thing I really get out of it is Widdop is hopefully just had a bad series. Blake Austin is the most lively player they've got. And boy, I hope James Graham doesn't retire anytime soon. Outside, oh, and Philbin and Wormsley, they need more game time. Outside of that, I, I get nothing else out of this Great Britain's tour. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm hoping that the annual experience for George Williams improves his game markedly because the one thing England needs more than anything else is a genuine seven who can create opportunities and steer the attack around. And who was the last one they had that could do that? It's been a long time. Yeah. I reckon um, I've always said Bobby Goulding is the last one that worried Australia. It's, and that's the thing, you've got to go back then. It's it's too, it's been far too long. Um, their spine, I'm, I'm happy for Hodgson to be there, but he needs... The thing that makes him work is he needs to have genuine ball players in the other in the other spine positions who can kick, who can pass, take a lot of that game playing off him. If he becomes the sole playmaker in the side, especially against a pack that's going to get beaten, as we've seen on this tour, he will not get an opportunity to create anything because the defense is going to be on him. They're not going to be going forward. He's not going to be able to do anything from dummy half. Um, and that's we're not even. This is not even debating about whether he's got the ability to do it or not. You could put any hooker in that position and they will struggle to spark any attack if they're the sole playmaker in the side. So that's why I think it would have been better to have Austin at six 
I even would have preferred to see Lomax at seven, to be honest. Um, but Williams at seven would have been just as good. If, well, he would have been better. Um, and I would have seen, would have liked to see Hastings off the bench. I think he might have suited that role a bit better because then you could probably bring him in at centre or something like that and just let him run the ball a bit more. He looks he looks dangerous when he runs with the ball. Um, and yeah. it's just another attacking option in the back line that they've got available there. And they need a genuine, strong running, kick returning fullback. Because every set was just starting deep down their own half because Lomax just ambled it up and took the took the first available tackle he could. He wasn't trying to make meters. You saw the difference between him tonight and Alex Johnson. That's the difference between a good fullback and a five-eighth playing a fullback. Yeah, and I mean, there was one point. Uh, he was just like, he would have 20 meters ahead of him. Just amble up with it, you know. Just, I couldn't believe it. I was disgusted by his effort in this game. Um, I, 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 until I see him actually do something good, I just don't rate him as even first grade level. Like, I don't care what he does in Super League. Super League's not first grade level anyway. But, um, yeah, just a zero. He gave them nothing for four straight games. Um, yeah, I guess the other thing too is, should they have had Sam Tompkins in the test side? Or is he just retired all out from, from... International test footy. Well, I don't know what played, the deal is there. I don't know what the deal is either because he played in the World Nines and I, I said he was, uh, yeah, he him was and sharp. James Graham were very good. I, yeah. I would I would much rather have him in there. I I think that he would be fantastic at 5'8". I've always said that he's got the vision and the, you know, the passing game to be a 5'8". Um, he would have no doubt done a little bit better in this series, I think. I think that he would still go all right at fullback. Um, or at least better than than Lomax, which isn't saying much. Um, but yeah, I I I don't know why he was left at home. Whether you know they wanted to give him an off season because he would have a a uh, a test series coming up at the end of next year, and you know the the English players they're going to be playing a lot of footy over the next few years. Um, but yeah, I, I I didn't understand that decision, especially considering he played nines. Like, it, obviously a decision was made that he wasn't one of the top players to go on this tour. And I just can't see how he wasn't at least considered one of their top halves options when you look at the halves that they had going on tour and how little they really got out of the vast majority of them. Yeah. I, I, was, I must admit, I was, I was surprised. And you know, English fans might argue with me on this one. I would have had... Um, I think it's Neil Evelds, Niall Evelds, uh, plays for Salford. Mm. I would have had him at fullback for this series. He's only he's 26. Um, he played 33 games this year, 22 tries. And the highlights of stuff I saw of him this year, he looked like the sort of fullback that would work well with, with a Wayne Bennett coach side. Mm-hmm. Good kick returns, um, has a decent passing game, Genuinely knows how to find the try line, and he looked like he was in top form this year. I just think, why don't you pick him? Like, why go the effort of getting Lachlan Coote, who is he didn't even prove himself when he played for City versus Country. Yeah, like that's he's just a club player. He he really is, and you know the thing about this this Great Britain uh, touring team, 
they're not a young team. Like James Graham's 34, Hodgson's 30, Hall is 31, Hill is 32, McGilvray's 31, Whitehead's 30, Widdop is 30. Like this isn't a young team that's going to build into something. This is like, this is the end of the line for this team in the next couple of years. And where's generation next? You know, they're not on the horizon, which is the yeah. real worrying thing. Which I think brings us to what I've said. I don't know I've said it a few times already. I'm going to say it again. The big problem that England's got that's led to this and caused all of this over this whole period is the promotion relegation system they've got in place. Mm-hmm. Because you've got very few teams in the Super League, which means everyone's at a greater risk of being relegated just for having one bad season, which means teams are even now less likely than before to invest in juniors. What they do is they find the quickest, quickest solution they can to a problem, which means buy someone from somewhere else so that we win, we don't get relegated, and we stay where we are. Every every yep. Super League club is doing short-term fixes. No one's going to think long-term because you can't afford it. That's the risk you have with promotion and relegation. I just think it's the most absurd system for over there. And we're seeing right now the the reason why it's absurd. Their test side is getting it's being towed by everyone, mm-hmm. and it's they're just getting worse and worse. And you've got to wonder where is the bottom line where something gets done, something drastic happens, and there's a, a full commitment where everybody says, "Look, this is not good enough. Where we need to do something now before it's too late." And it can get to a point when it's too late. And we need to make some massive changes and it's going to be different. It's going to upset a lot of people. We might not like it, but we need to do it anyway. And obviously getting rid of promotion and relegation is the first step in that. Um, Bringing in a proper junior development system where, you know, the clubs actually uh, are rewarded for developing junior players through their entire system, not just plucking them out of, you know, a local team when they're 19 and giving them a contract and saying, oh, look who we developed, which is what most of them do. Um, You know, there's a lot of things they need to fix up. I mean, right now, the biggest club in Super League is not even based in Europe. You know, it's based in Toronto. And the, the power that they've got to buy players is greater than, like, for one player is greater than what most of them spend on their entire squad. And that should be set alarm bells out as well. Like there needs to, at some point, there needs to be a, a thought towards growing and a thought towards building something rather than just keep patching up what they've got because they're doing all these patch-ups and it's not working. Everything's just getting worse. And I just wonder at what point is enough enough. And I look, I don't think this, this tour is going to be enough. I think it would take for Australia to beat them 50 points a game in the next, you know, Ashes series that we have next year, and then for them to maybe not win a game in the World Cup, and then maybe it would be enough. But I've seen these sorts of failures out of Great Britain for many, many years, and I'm just always stunned that there's never the rock bottom that you would hope for that would instigate a change. It just doesn't happen. See, I don't think winning three tests by 50 points is actually going to do anything. Because yeah. they've they've lost by big margins to Australia before, and they mm-hmm. did nothing. 
Mm-hmm. And then they'll just say, yeah, but Australia's the best team in the world, so, you know, that's going to happen. Mm. I think it needs to be a bigger loss than that. I think if Australia went out, and I think if Australia really, really just said to themselves, you know what, we are going to annihilate this team. We're going to play our asses off for the full 80 minutes because too often Australia will play a solid first half and then do enough to win a game in the second half. Yeah. And they coast a bit and... They attempted to do that against Tonga and got their ass handed to them over it. And I think that's the kick in the ass. That's the worst thing that could have happened to English Rugby League is Tonga mm. beating Australia because when Australia goes over there on that tour next year, they're going to be able to prove that they deserve to be seen as the, the top team in the world. Mm-hmm. And they'll be able to make an example of everyone they play in that, that tour over there. And I think and thing- every single tour Sorry. game they play, they rack up. 80-point wins against everyone they play against and put 60 on Great Britain every time. You're going to have to sit there and go, England, you need to have a look at yourself. And this is a very real, yeah. this is a very real chance of happening. Yeah. And, and the thing is, too, like, and I, I said this going into this off-season, it seems like Australia has... Under under Mal Meninga, they're really starting to put together their elite player development system where they've got that under the 23 and under team, which is a very, very good thing for Australia to have. Um, they brought through a lot of young players. I mean, we had, uh, you know, like Haas come into the side, um, into the test team. Uh, David Fafida would have probably come in had he not got mm. injured. Um, it was a younger Kangaroos team that we had for that for the game against New Zealand and then the one against Tonga. And so there was a little bit of a changing of the guard from some of our older players that we've had in the past. And Mal Meninga will have said to a lot of the players after the loss to Tonga, like, that's not good enough, first of all. And I'm not taking anything away from Tonga. Tonga won the game. There's no excuses for Australia. But just the way that Mal Meninga will have looked at it, he would have said, look... I'll replace the players that aren't performing. Like, I've got a bunch of them. I've got, you know, and I think the origin might be used a little bit differently going forward for us. I think now that we have tightened up the eligibility rules, I think that that will help our test team. And as you say, like, you might get towards the end of next year if Malmaning is saying, look, we can be back here and I'm only bringing back the dudes that play really well to play in the World Cup over here. So go out and prove you want to be there next year. If Australia rips in, man, the, England could be in a lot of trouble, especially if they're missing one or two players through injury. Like if, if James Graham, for instance, doesn't play, or, or, you know, along those lines, they're stuffed. You know, can you imagine tonight if if they'd have been having to deal with Payne Haas mm. and Vaughan? Like or Tom or Tom Alolo. Oh, I would love to see this Great Britain team play Australia on a dry track. Uh, uh, it would be interesting to see how much Australia would put on them. Like if they played next weekend in Townsville, like I think Australia could probably score seventy on them. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's worrying for English rugby league. Mm. Um. And this is the thing, I I genuinely, honestly, sincerely want to see Great Britain slash England be Australia's equal because mm-hmm. there's nothing I love more 
than seeing the best teams in the world playing in a match and you don't know who's going to win. That yep. is the ultimate. And, I mean, as people have seen, if you had a look on my Twitter today, you'll see that there's a graph I put out there and there's a second one of those two graphs shows the rapidly increasing gap between Australia and England slash Great Britain. And it's wider now than it's ever been, and it's widening at a rapid rate, and it's been going on for 40 years. And I've had a few people saying to me that, um, you know, I don't see how there's a decline. It's there. The numbers do not lie. The decline is there. It's savage. Um, Great Britain, for a long time, were growing at a steady rate, and they were staying ahead of everybody else. And then around about 1977, 1978, Australia got better. And then New Zealand plateaued briefly and then just went downhill. They had a brief spike in the, in the mid-90s, um, probably around the Super League saga that went on. Australia wasn't playing as much and whatever else. But, uh, yeah, after that spike, though, just another. And a more severe, just falling off a cliff with their performances and that's just against australia and new zealand you know they're the marquee teams they've always played against the the teams they should be being measured against and it's atrocious it's frightening i thought it would plateau throughout the 80s and 90s and then go down a bit in the 2000s it's just down a little bit up then down again hard um well australia's just steadily kept going up at the same rather rapid rate and like going up like a rocket as well. Like there gets mm. a point where Australia improves, improves, improves. And then, and like we talked a little bit about what the changes were and stuff. And it's definitely not one or two things. It's a bunch of different things. But at one point it's like there's a rocket under Australia and they just disappear. And Great Britain almost equally goes in the opposite direction. Um, the thing that shocked me a little bit was that, in the 2000s, from say uh, 2000 onward, that there was there was no plateaus at all. Like I thought there might have been a couple here or there, and but there just wasn't. It was all just straight downhill, um, you know. And I've talked about the decline of British rugby league a lot. Anybody that used to read what I'd say in the the Pommy forums and stuff, they know what I used to say. And unfortunately, a lot of it's come to to be. Um, I'm like you, I just want to be able to put on the TV or go to a game and be like, you know what, I've got no idea who's going to win this test. I'm turning up to witness whatever happens. And that's why I've loved seeing uh, Tonga go so well. That's why I love seeing PNG go well. I hope to see Fiji continue to improve. That's why I'm so disappointed that Samoa is so disappointing. But to see Great Britain fall away to the point where now... I mean, Papua New Guinea. If they want a really good Test match, do they call on P? Uh, do they call on GB? You know, I don't think they can. I think they're better off looking at Tonga or Fiji or Samoa. Um, you know, and uh, having a former superpower in the rugby league world—that's just a sad thing. I mean, you know, we've seen a little bit with France, where for a little bit France was a superpower and. It's it's disappointing when you see a former superpower in rugby league, and I think it's fair to say that now Great Britain is a former superpower in rugby league, and on the horizon there seems to be 
nothing for them that you would look at to say, well, they'll make their way back. It seems to be the opposite. And that's really sad for the game. It is. It is. Um, Especially historically. Like, I know most people don't pay too much attention to, to rugby league history, but you and me do. And we've read so many amazing stories about, like, the touring Great Britain teams coming over to Australia. And it was like taking on this, it was like an, a movable force takes on the unstoppable object. You didn't know who was going to win. That mm. was how you rated yourself as a player. It wasn't, it wasn't who won the grand final or anything like that. It was like what you did against the world's best and the world's best for like 80 years of rugby league history was great Britain. And now that's gone. And it's very sad. Yeah, and they're not in the conversation anymore. No. Well, That's what would you say? What would you say the world ratings are now? Say we did the top five, right? I I tend to think Australia's still first, even though yes. Tonga beat them. Yeah, I'd have Australia first. Um, I'd still have New Zealand second. Mm-hmm. Um, then yeah, you're looking at Tonga. Oh. I feel like I should be saying England at fourth, but I'm. Oh, why is that? That's the thing. Mm. It's, it's so hard to justify, isn't it? It's well. The other thing is, it's because the teams around them they just haven't they haven't had consistent success, mm-hmm. like Fiji, um, Samoa, PNG, even Tonga to some extent. Okay, they haven't had this consistent success that you'd say, you know what, they definitely deserve to be third, fourth, fifth, whatever else. Mm-hmm. But same goes for England as well. Yeah, like when was their last consistent success? And, man, it, it, like you could point to the World Cup, the last World Cup. Um, the problem with, and this is the thing I don't like, okay, with the World Cups, mm-hmm. is a lot of the time they're tailored to suit specific teams. Mm-hmm. It's, and those teams typically are Australia, New Zealand, and Great Britain or England. Yeah, they'll have the draw set up so that they, you know, they may have to play each other once in a pool match, but they might be in one of the only pools where two teams go through magically. You know, mm-hmm. we saw it in the Nines World Cup. That sort of garbage. Yeah, I hate um, that. and I. I'd love to see the, the the best World Cup structure I ever saw was what they they did in the cricket this year. And they just said, you know what, we're gonna we've got nine or ten teams. Everyone's just going to play each other once. We don't have to worry yeah. about pools and anything being unfair. This is the fairest system we've got. Everyone plays each other once. Top teams through. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd like to see that tried even just once for a rugby league World Cup. You had sixteen teams. You'd be playing for a month and a half. Who cares? You know, you could probably play half of the European games in in Northern Hemisphere, play the Southern Hemisphere games down here, and then have the final stage where Northern Southern Hemisphere teams play one another at an actual World Cup location, you know, host city or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that way you don't have to worry about having this two-month-long campaign. You just have one month like they usually are, and you get to see the Northern Hemisphere teams play the Southern Hemisphere teams, and then you have the finals. Mm-hmm. I think that would work. I think that's doable. And 
I think that would be the fairest way of determining who the best teams are. Or even, say you had, uh, even if you split it into the two groups of eight, right? So your teams are playing, say playing seven games, and then the two top teams from the group just playing the final. Um, it would be a big World Cup. It'd be interesting. I wrote many years ago about the possibility of instead of having a World Cup, Cup having a a test schedule where everyone plays everyone else over, say, four years, and then the top two teams in a, a huge league structure play a, a World Cup final, which is a kind of a similar concept, but over a long period of time. Yeah. Um, I don't know that that is what Rugby League needs right now. I think we do need international tournaments. But, yeah, it, it does make it difficult to line up results in the World Cup, especially when you get teams... Say, for instance, when you've got these super group setups where you've got a battle-hardened team that maybe wasn't the top team in the group, but they've played all the best teams already, and then they come up against a team like Fiji, for instance, who was the top team in their group, but they were playing uh, lower-ranked opponents. So this is the first time they've really come up against a good opponent. It's just, you know, very difficult to get up for that. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, Tonga's success was so amazing in the World Cup in that they played so well and then they put it on New Zealand, which was fantastic. Um, yeah. I tell you what, in the next World Cup, though, which is not that long away, it's a couple of years away now. Uh, oh, it's, I, it's about 20 months away. Yeah, yeah. Like, And I have to say, for me right now, it's Australia and Tonga. And everyone else has to prove something. Tell you what else is what worries me about the next World Cup. Yeah. It's in England. Mm. They want to get between 750,000 and a million fans there, knowing that no World Cup to date has had, has even reached half a million fans. Mm -hmm. And when your host nation has just come off a tour where they've lost all four games and didn't play against the best team in the world in that in that tour either. Mm-hmm. The fans are disillusioned. A lot of them are unhappy. England's playing... England have been playing under Wayne Bennett, I'll say this. They've been playing boring-ass football. Mm-hmm. That's partly Bennett, partly the squad, in my view. Mm-hmm. But I think he's coaching a style that is successful in the NRL, mm-hmm. but he's not suited to the quality of players he's got in the English team. And I think that's where the problem is. And the reason why I get rid of Bennett is because of that. But who, in an ideal world, who would you bring in as the Great Britain coach? I said before, it needs to be someone who isn't currently coaching Mm -hmm. a club team. They can be an experienced coach, but not currently coaching a team. Because like like Mal Meninga over here, we need someone who's dedicated to it, who's going to work on setting up genuine pathways and... Uh, systems to try and make sure that the team is not only getting better, performing better, but there's also a genuine um, a genuine pathway to replace the players who are in the side who may be retiring soon so that they go, they've got all that experience, they come straight in, they're ready, they hit the ground running, they're ready to go. Be it a Lions under-23 side like what the Kangaroos have done, but something along those lines, and that needs to be set up, and there needs to be... Um, more focus and attention paid to grassroots football. Um, and I think you can't get a part-time coach from the other side of the world to do that. 
That's why no, I'd be getting rid of Wayne Bennett. Not because I think he's a shit coach, but because I don't think he's suited to the role, and I think the role requires someone who's there full-time, not part-time. That's why I don't want a Super League coach doing it either. No, so I, I think Bennett's about as good as they're going to get because I do think he gets a team to a certain level and they need to work on just being competitive at this point. I don't think that they can look at the finishing touches right now because they haven't got the personnel for it. Um, and, and I think that Bennett is coaching to Great Britain's strengths, which isn't very... They have not got much strength. I mean, it's not like their back line's full of, you know, t- talented attacking players or anything. No, but I mean, the, the way the, the Super League is played, typically, is a lot of second-phase play. You know, there's a lot of offloads... Defense isn't really huge in that game. They they tend to play a bit more free flowing footy and a bit more open. Mm-hmm. And Bennett's got them playing a more restricted style, which yeah. is more suited to the NRL. And I agree, while yeah. while it's probably what they should be playing when they come down here to play against NRL players, because that's what they're doing going to do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for them because the players aren't used to that, except for the few who are playing in the NRL. And so it's a bit of a mishmash. Um, so I think they need someone who understands how the English game is played a bit better and try and work with what the players are comfortable with. Um, not saying that that would make them win, but it's probably got a... No, I, I don't even feel confident saying that. <laughs> I was going to say, Look, it, it's probably going to give them a better chance of winning, but I, I don't even think that would happen. But it's just, I think at the moment that the, the difference of styles is part of the problem. And again, it's not because Bennett's rubbish. I just think that they're just two that aren't compatible with one another. But I think that... See, I disagree, right? Because I remember a lot of people saying, we need to stop trying to play Australia's style and play our own style. And it's like Australia plays rugby league at the very highest level, right? And to look at that and say, we don't want to play that way. We want to play a different way. To me, is a, I don't understand it because if you look at the way Tonga plays, right, and you look at the way New Zealand plays and Australia plays, and even to some extent PNG, right, these teams are playing, a, a they're all playing a similar style of game because that's how elite rugby league is played right now. And if, if you t- took, say, this Great Britain team and said, look, go out there, throw the ball around, go back to your, your Super League days, I think they just get beaten by more. Like, under Wayne Bennett's boring-ass style of footy, they got to a World Cup final. And I know they didn't score a point in it. I'm the first to point that out. But they still did get to a World Cup final. And that's something. And I think that if they look beyond... If they try and reinvent the wheel, I think that they will get burnt. And I've always felt that. And I, I, I worry that they'll get a new... I'm worried that they'll get in somebody that'll talk it up big and they'll, you know, they'll be brash about what they're going to do and they're going to bring the great back into Great Britain and stuff. (laughs) And then their completion rates will fall and the field position will be terrible and they'll just give, they'll just give the opposition the ball back. Yeah, I know what you mean. I just think, I just think Bennett's gone too far to the NRL style of play. I think he needs to come back a little bit to allow them to play a little bit of what they do in the Super League. Because at the moment, 
there's no second phase play in that English side whatsoever. And even Australia, New Zealand, Tonga have second phase play. That Great Britain side, they just hit ups a couple of one outs, maybe pass it one off the ruck, two off the ruck, and then it's just a boring kick on the end with very little kick chase on it. It's the well, most. It's the well, most. Remember simplest... that game that the Great Britain and New Zealand played that was an absolute snore fest until mm-hmm. about the last twenty minutes. Like, man, that was bad footy. It was, and it's it's that's the thing is that. I think he's I understand that, you know, he's he's trying to make sure that they're competitive and playing the Australian, you know, the NRL style I'd say. Mm-hmm. Because that helps them stay in games. But there's no point trying to stay in a game if you're not going to allow the team to try something a little bit risky in attack to try and score points. Because what we've seen in this whole tour is their attack is not <clears throat> it's non existent. And yeah. I think he's I think he's put the screws down too hard on that. And I think if he had have let them play the English style of attack a little bit more, it's different to what the Australians expect. And it would it could have been something that may have disrupted a few defensives you know, a few defenses, especially with Papua New Guinea and Tonga. It could have just been enough to frustrate them a little bit and make them run around a bit more, could have helped time them out a bit. Instead they played into the strengths of the opposition, which was just charge up the middle, and the middle defenses of all these teams over here in the in you know with NRL players and the Papua New Guinea side, middle defenses are rock solid. Yeah, that so was, just, that, as it, we said, like I think it was last week, you do hit ups. It doesn't matter who you're playing against; they'll tackle. Cook Islands will tackle you all day on yeah. one on hit ups. You know, and that's the problem. There wasn't anywhere near enough second phase play, and I don't know why they put it put it away so much. So there's no point having, and you, we've seen this in the NRL this year, the the teams who were getting high 90s and whatnot in their completion rates weren't always the teams that won. Mm-hmm. The sweet pot, the sweet spot for completion rates was around about 86, 87% from memory. Mm-hmm. You've got to be willing to throw the ball around a little bit and chance your arm every now and then. Not all the time, but just a little bit. And Great Britain just didn't do that. And I don't know if it's the players doing it or whether it was Bennett's telling them, no, don't do that. We need to stick to these really strict structures or whatever it is. Um, I don't know, but it completely nullified their attack in every way possible. Yeah, I I don't know. I just, I worry about... The thing that really worries me is it, it they've gone they've gone too fast so that it doesn't matter. That's what worries me. Well, that's true too. You know, and... and when you when you pass that point, it doesn't matter who your coach is. Like Wayne Bennett is a blessing at that point. And the thing that worries me about if you get rid of Wayne Bennett and you bring someone else in, especially if you bring in an English coach, that it just gets worse. And if it gets worse from here, what does that look like? And how do you get out of that? And, and I, I don't think I've ever been at a point with British Rugby League where I've been... Uh, at yeah. times, I've hoped that it could turn around. I feel like it might not be able to at this point. And I'm not so much talking about Super League because I think that there's some bright things for Super League that are coming up. And ironically, I don't think that they're to do with British clubs much at all. But, uh, yeah, I worry about the overall, the overall, the big picture look. Oh, man, I, I'm worried that it's gone too far now and it just doesn't matter. And that's, I hate saying that. 
I've got a bold idea for the new coach, and they're not English. I know I've said it before, and I know your your response is, but uh, Tim Sheens. Ugh. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think much of him as a coach either. I got very tired of him very quickly at the West Tigers. But the one thing I can't criticise him of at the Tigers was he was very good at bringing through juniors. The Tigers See, never brought through juniors of the same quality and at the same rate as they did ever, as they did under Sheets. And he's got an eye for that, and he knows how to spot that, yeah. and he knows how to build those networks at the junior level and get those pathways set up, which is what they need. He understands the Australian game very well. Um, only problem is he can be a bit of a one-trick pony in attack, um, and he's not a brilliant defensive coach, but you can get a defensive coach in. You know what I feel like they need? They need somebody that, let's say it's Tim Sheens, right? You bring him in, and I feel like Great Britain needs to be able to take a step back and say, look, we're not playing Australia, and we, we're not worried about the World Cup. And I know this is an impossibility, but they need to break it down and say, we're going to put out a, a team that isn't over the age of 25 on average, and we're going to play France. We're going to play, you know, we'll play Papua New Guinea again. We're going to play a certain level of team, and we're just going to roll through games. We're going to play six internationals every off-season. We're going to get them some experience and build them up. I feel like they need to do that. That's that's what they've got to do, yeah. And um... The problem is they haven't got the chance to do it. Like, if they do that against Australia, Australia will buzzsaw them for three tests. And no, that's no can, good. They can do it. They can play Scotland, Ireland, Wales, France. There's four tests right there, and they don't have to leave their own country. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, you know, the easiest way to do this is to go, you know what? The Super League season is stupidly long mm-hmm. because you've got 12 teams and they play 25 fucking games. What the? That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. But 22 games is what you should be playing, okay? You've got 12 teams to play each other twice. That's 22 games. Knock three rounds off. Those three weeks that you take off there, Play international footy. You've got three tests right there you can play. One more at the end of the season, bang, there's your four tests, and you've only added an extra week to the season. Yeah, it just makes sense to me. I don't know why they play 25 games. It's because the it's, clubs need the money, though. Like, it's, But it's dumb. It is. And I, the, I agree. It's fucking ridiculous. The, the thing you get is, okay, each game costs money to put on. Mm-hmm. And they're not making that that big a profit on each game, surely, if they are making a profit on each game. I mean, we're seeing clubs go financially broke and whatnot. Well, they're not even televising each game. Yeah. So Which is, there's to me, is madness. There's got to be a point where, and I, I put this down to basic economics, okay? If you have, if you put a ton of things out there, they're not worth much. But if you reduce the amount of items you put out there, they're going to be worth more. Okay, so if you make, you know, if you put the NRL season, okay, had 40 rounds, you're not going to get massive crowds to it because people will automatically think, ah, I can just go to another game. There's tons of them on. It doesn't matter. But if you if the NRL competition was 12 rounds, I can't miss a game. They don't play that many. I need to get to every game. And 
that mentality has never ever existed in England. It's like let's have as many games as possible because that's what soccer does. Yeah, exactly, and that's a cultural thing. Yeah, and it's got to change. Yeah, when you come in with a different idea, you get the well. That's that's how we've always done it, and you don't understand English rugby league, do you? And it's like, yeah, I don't understand it. <laughs> that's the problem. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, like, um, I, I don't understand why you just accept following a game which is failing. Mm. Like, try something different. And when I say try something different, I don't mean the fucking super eights. No. Which was just stupid. It didn't do. It didn't serve any purpose whatsoever, other than to make the season longer. It was just absolute, an absolute monstrosity. If you want to have twenty-five rounds, then you need to have more teams in the competition. Simple as that. Yeah, I agree. And, and that, like, they've got to they've got to move beyond the small towns. And I know that people that have clubs that are in small towns, it's upsetting to hear that. And look, if your club is strong enough, your club's going to be strong enough against anyone. But I think we've seen clearly with all stuff that's going on in Toronto, the days of being able to have a Super League club in a small town, the clock is ticking now because Toronto has an entire city. It's owned by a billionaire. They can throw as much money as they want at the club. And it doesn't matter how many chook raffles you have or how many local lotos, lotteries you have. You're not going to compete with that. And the only the only teams that will be able to compete with it are ones in cities. And, yeah. you know, that's the future. It has always had to be the future. It's the, what they were saying in Australian Rugby League in the late 70s. You know, we can't be sub, a suburban comp. We need to have cities involved in this. And we expanded, we changed, and over in England they didn't. And I don't, And I think that that's a major reason why... Australian Rugby League, and as a result, New Zealand Rugby League and uh, Pacific Islands Rugby League has exploded over the last 30 years, while British Rugby League's gone in the opposite direction. No, fully agree. Fully agree. And the sad thing is, they're kind of dragging France with them. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I think I think France is... I mean, they've they've had some issues, some off-field issues. I think France might be able to turn that into a turnaround. Um, the moves that we've seen for Toulouse, Toulouse obviously has its eyes on Super League now. I don't know if they've got the tap on the shoulder from Super League officials that have said, listen, get to this point, we'll make sure you're in Super League somehow. Um, but, you know, if they can have Toulouse and they can have, uh, have Catalan... They're pushing into southern Spain through the Catalan club. They're doing a few little things which are, are encouraging. I thought coming down and playing the Australian 23 and under team was encouraging, even though it was a bit of a disaster on the scoreboard. It's obvious. That's the first sign I've seen from uh, French officials that they're like, we need to do something a little bit different than we've been doing in the past because just playing Scotland and Ireland in these third-rate internationals is just not cutting it anymore. No, that's exactly right. Um, I'd love to see France at the same level as England because I think think that, and I said it before, I think if the day that England-Great Britain loses to France in a test, Mm -hmm. that's the day that they shit themselves. Like yeah. They'll sit there and they'll cop these losses over here 
Even though in the Papua New Guinea, they'll go, oh, you know, we lost to Papua New Guinea once before, but we bounced back and won the next so many others. And, you know, it's just a bit of a blip and blah, 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 blah. And they make all these excuses. Mm. But they won't cop losing to France. And I think that would be the... That'd be the turning point is they lost to France. Or it may not be a turning point. I think the point where they go, maybe there's something wrong. But by the time they get to that point, there's a fair chance that, you know, Toronto could probably have a few, a whole heap of players that are, you know, Canadian born in their side. And all of a sudden, Canada becomes, you know, a genuine strong player in the in the international scene as well, like a top 10 test side or something like that. Yeah, well, and then all of a sudden England's starting to be, you know, on the same level as them. I mean, yeah, it sounds crazy to talk about at this stage, but I'm I'm not seeing any signs that suggest that that can't happen. Well, I, like I was listening to the last international rugby league podcast, uh, the official one, and and I think it was Brad Walter was on there, and he was saying if you had if you went back, say I think it was eight years, he said, and you had told somebody that Tong would has just convincingly beaten Australia. And that Toronto just signed Sonny Bill Williams for $11 million. Whoever you said that to would say, that's crazy. Like, that's just, that's out there. You're on some sort of drugs. I don't know what they are, but they must be amazing. Um, so things can move very, very quickly sometimes. Mm-hmm. And when you consider that the owners of the Wolfpack want to also have a team in Ottawa, there's a team that's trying to be set up in New York. Uh, you've got two French clubs that are, are there or thereabouts for Super League. It doesn't take too many clubs of that type to band together and then they turn around to English Rugby League and they start dictating the terms. And if English Rugby League hasn't got an underlying strength in terms of player strength, in terms of financial strength, they have to do what they're told to do. And if it gets to that point, what do you do? I mean, they just have to do what they're told. You know, I wonder if we're at a point now where the rugby football league and maybe super league goes to the NRL and says, we need help now and we need it pretty quickly and how much power they would be willing to turn over to the NRL or the ARLC for that to happen. I don't think they'd do it. I think that they'd be too proud. I think they'd, they'd it'd be the thing of, I'd rather, you know, die than live on my knees, you know? Um, yeah. So I don't think they'd live, do live, it. Live on your feet and be wealthy. I'd rather just be dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, But that's what, you know what, that's what they need. They need a whole of game takeover and they need a professional organisation to take over. And, you know, if they become a subsidiary of the NRL, it would probably be one of the best things that's ever happened to English Rugby League. Yeah. Who'd be the uh, who'd be the boss of Super League then? Me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question. Um, it's, a, it's a really good question. You know, you'd want somebody that, you need someone with with some political now who understands the the English system over there. Someone who's willing to try and make a small time sport a big time sport because that's the situation they got over there because the Premier League dwarfs everything. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who can get it on TV. Yep. 
and someone who can get some sponsors to it. And and somebody that's willing to be a bit of a dictator as well. Like they need somebody that will come in and say, okay, promotion and relegation has ended. London are in Super League. You know, we're going we're gonna to do everything we can to fast track Ottawa or New York. Um, you know, they need some somebody there that's got some balls. They need somebody that says, hey, we got Birmingham just south of us. You know, and a, a former industrialised city that's a uh, very big city. It's not very far for our clubs to travel. Why do we have no presence there? That they they need somebody that's willing to just go in and and make some massive changes. Bring in, you know, junior grades. Bring in reserve grades, like real basic stuff that we take for granted. Yeah. Um, I'd suggest uh, David Smith. You know what? That's a really good suggestion. It's, I feel like he's involved in rugby union now. He might be. I feel um, like he is. But he'd be he, a really, really good choice. He, he dragged rugby league out of being essentially run by a bunch of clubs and on chalk raffles and then being run by a newspaper to becoming a genuinely, intelligently managed business that anyone... Anyone can walk in there and run. Mm-hmm. It's set up properly. It's making money. It's it's doing everything right, and anyone can do it. He he did all of that. He did all that setting up of it there, and I think, I think they should say, you know what, David, we need we need you in here. We need you to make this game bigger and better than it is. Help us fix it. You got as long as you need. Yeah, that that would be a fantastic, fantastic idea. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what what blueprint he put down because I think that he would he would do a review an actual review of stuff, and it would be interesting to see what his blueprint was. Um, but they do they need they just need a major overhaul of like the, everything. It like this isn't a Great Britain team thing. This is a great a British rugby league overhaul from the top to the bottom like even the way they you know target five-year-old players and get them into the sport uh everything you know absolutely everything and i hope it's not too late and i i I just i would love to know if it's going to happen even like we're talking about it like it's obviously going to happen i i just hope it happens yeah they they've got to get rid of the old Buddy Daddy, let's just do what we've always done because that's what we're used to. And just go, you know what? We need to shake the shit up and we need to do it now. And first thing I'd do is I'd say, right, for the next the next ten years, Super League's gonna have sixteen clubs and no promotion or relegation. Every mm-hmm. club then has to work out um a lower grade system, bring through juniors. Yeah. Um We're also going to scrap this is gonna be a bit contentious going to scrap the marquee signing one. You can sign players from overseas. You're only allowed to sign three. I yeah, think they I... need to start focusing on their own talent. Yeah, definitely. I, I like the idea of uh, bringing the the import quota what right down. I always have. Um, the marquee system I kind of like just because of what we've seen with Sonny Bill. I worry that, that clubs 
other clubs will try and do similar things and spend themselves to death. That's, That's the my problem. Like, but the, I find the marquee um, player thing completely defies the purpose of a salary cap. Because the salary cap's designed so that, A, your players get paid, and B, clubs don't spend themselves to death. Mm-hmm. And by having a marquee player where you can pay one or two players whatever the hell you want, um, especially when you're going to get a, a billionaire saying, we're just going to pay a bloke $11 million, mm-hmm. um, that has the potential to ruin some clubs because they're just going... Because in the current system, um, they will try and pay some huge money to some player who doesn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. Um and I'll say this, Sonny Bill Williams is going to be great for marketing over there, but no way in the world is he worth whatever the hell he's being paid. Yeah, no, no way. Like maximum I'd even consider paying him would be 1.5 a year because that's the maximum I'd actually accept paying any player anywhere in the world of any quality. See, I, I think that as a footballer, yeah, and you can't just play him as a footballer. You've got to do the overall thing. I think for Toronto, right, and I think for Super League, he'd I, I agree, he'd be worth 1.5 a year because of the overall marketing and all that sort of thing. But at the same time, if you've got a billionaire that's there, that's like a literal billionaire, and it's not, it's not a... And we've seen some billionaires before in rugby league where it turned out, yeah, they're a billionaire, but it was kind of on paper and, you know, it was more theoretical. But if you're a proper billionaire and you want to splash out and get somebody that will get worldwide worldwide headlines, I don't see a problem with it. Because that, that signing is almost outside of, I mean, it is, it's literally outside of the cap, but it's almost even outside of the club. It's literally the owner saying, look, this is out of my own pocket because it's not like the club yeah. is turning over uh, that much money to be able to pay him. No, I understand that. I just think it's 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 an absurd amount of money. There's no one I'd pay ever that much Half money. Percent. That's crazy. Well, is Lira allowed? <laughs> I just think when this time next year, when Latrell Mitchell has broken all of the West Tigers' drive-time <laughs> records and go, okay, how much are you going to say he's worth? You'll be like, he's worth more than Sonny Bill. <laughs> no, that's never going to happen. Sure. I, I, I will bring it up this time next year. You watch. I'm, I'm the uh, least parochial fan <laughs> when it comes to my own club. As soon as the Tigers sign someone that's on more than $500,000 a year, I'm already trying to think of a way of getting rid of them because they cost too much and they're obviously going to fail. Yeah, but that's because it's like someone like them buy. That that only comes down to a track record that's completely proven me right time and time again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. There we go. That was... um, We didn't quite bury England, but we did dig there. We did kind of dig the grave just in case they decide to fall in it. Yeah. Yeah, we when we rolled them right up to the edge of it. Yeah. And we just stand in there sort of... Wielding, us, wielding the shovel over the their head. <laughs> We're wielding the shovel over their head, waiting for them to stand up so we can smack them. Yeah. Get in there. Oh, I really <laughs> want to smack them too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah... Um, I don't really want to say sorry to England fans because, you know, it's been going on for years, so you're used to it. But, you know, the only way this is ever going to change is if 
the fans and the administrators and the clubs and the, you know, they all accept that things need to change and drastically. That's pretty much the point of all this because mm. the current system is failing and has been for four decades. Yep, it's the definition of madness. You can't keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Exactly right. So there it is. Mm. Um, yeah, we've got some news about the website. Oh, really? What is it? Yeah, I saw a tweet that you made saying you think it's pretty close to finished and ready and up and going now. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the only thing I've got to do is fill out the uh, rest of the guests that we've had. In fact, I haven't put any of them on. There's just a couple of placeholders there. But everything else is pretty much in place. So if you want to go and have a look at it, just check it out. It's com. You can see all of the history episodes. We've got a link so that you can just uh, listen to the history episodes alone, which is pretty cool. Uh, we've got links to our sites. We've got a link on the front page to the Patreon. If you go to the front page, it will always have the latest episode up to listen to. Um, so, you know, yeah, and you can listen to that on your browser, which is good. Um, it shows you where you can listen to this podcast through all the different channels that you can listen to it through. So, yeah, it's uh, not too bad. That's fantastic. All the links to our socials. Yeah, uh, I don't know it has that. <laughs> <laughs> has to at the Fergo and the Freak social stuff. And that's it, man. We've got socials everywhere. I so know. just in case you don't know, we're on Twitter at Fergo Freak Pod. We're on Facebook. Just check out the Fergo Fergo and the Freak podcast on Facebook. You'll find it on there. We're on YouTube. We're on YouTube. There's uh there was a video on there of me talking about my lace my uh well, revealing my lottery ticket week victory, my first one after twenty two losses. Mm. Um, it was a big I, win too. I spent that money on a uh, a meal deal at a Porto. Oh, nice! What'd you get? Uh, I can't remember now. Bondi burger. Yeah, they're I kept, pretty good. I, I kept it pretty pretty simple because mm-hmm. I I only won ten dollars eighty. But Still. when I when I thought back on it, I went, you know, I'm eating this a Porto burger, and I said, yeah, I've got this out of the ten bucks I won. I think actually, yeah. given that there was twenty two tickets of value before it. This mm-hmm. burger is actually currently costing me round about four hundred and something dollars. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> it was the uh, oh, tastiest, geez. most expensive burger I've ever eaten. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, I thought of all of the things I won't be able to buy because I would have put twenty bucks on on uh, PNG at thirteen bucks. Oh, and I thought of all of the stuff I could have bought with 260 bucks. Oh. Another Thor hammer. Yeah, basically. You have one in each hand, just wandering around going, I'm twice the Thor of any yeah. other Thor. I'm Thor Thor. <laughs> Two Thors, double Thor. Mm. Um, squared. Yeah. We're also on LinkedIn. Yeah. We've got a LinkedIn page. So if you like the podcast and you're on LinkedIn, uh, follow the LinkedIn page. I'll try and chuck some different things up on there. Um, we've also got our own LinkedIn pages. Yeah, Rugby League Project's on there. Um, League Freak is on there. Yeah, leaguefreak.com is on there too. There you go. So, yeah. Check them out. Get in there. Uh, like them, love them. Share them around as you do. Get involved. And most importantly, and last but not least, give us a five-star rating and a review. 
we'll, we'll yeah. read yours out. We're we're even working on putting them up on the uh, up on the website too, so you'll be famous forever. Yeah. Have we got any new else. reviews, by the way? Let's have a quick gander. Yeah. This is a good preparation. This. Yeah. Because we want to read out every single review we get. We've been doing that in previous podcasts. Yeah, we've had 15 reviews that we've run out so far. Yeah, which is pretty good. We only yeah. read the good ones out too, by the way. That's right. No new ones. Okay. Oh, no, hang on. Well, there is a new one. Oh, really? What's it say? Go on. Oh, actually, we've got two. Oh, cool. Are they good? Lovely. Yeah, they're good. Excellent. So someone by the name of Nadine Chilvers. Oh. They said... Just two blokes chewing the fat about all things rugby league and sometimes not at all rugby league related. Great vibe, excellent guess. Who says rugby league has an off season? Thanks Very for that, nice. Nadine. You're a legend. Thank you, Nadine. And Jay Puff. Let's give this a five star review. It said a unique rugby league podcast that all fans of the game should listen to. It is something for everyone, and with the frequency and quality of the episode uploads, means you'll always have something to listen to. The interaction on social media with their fans is also a bonus. Oh, that's really cool. Thank you for that. Yeah, we yeah. try and, you know, keep everyone included in the show because I know when we do it and we post it and stuff, we, you know, we we feel like it's part of a group of people doing it. And that's why we like having guests on and getting people on that listen to the to the show and stuff like that. Like, you know, we don't just post it and then walk away from it. We definitely get involved with people and have a laugh with them. We follow them and all sorts of stuff. So... It's cool to see that that does come through. Yeah, we're we're not we're not always egotistical, famous assholes. Well, maybe that silence suggests that we are. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking outside of that. You go on. Hmm. Aren't we? I was like, there's there's something other than that. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Oh. I thought if I thought if I downplayed it, you'd come along with me on that journey. You just went, no, nah, I'm leaving him out there. <laughs> there you go. That's part of my charm. Yeah. You, you walked out that door. Shut the uh, well, fuck up behind you as you go out. I'm not following you. <laughs> I remember an ex of mine once said, geez, you've got such an ego. And I said, thanks. And I winked at her. She loved it. <laughs> oh, that's good. I remember saying to someone once that I was the most humble person in the world. Yeah. They didn't get it. Oh, really? No. But anyway. That's, that's the funniest thing I've probably got to, to talk about other than stupid nicknames for journos. <laughs> <laughs> I, saw Richard have... Cranium, I saw Richard Cranium like the fact that I called James Hooper James Hood Ornament. James Hood Ornament, yeah, he did. You know what? We got some guests coming up this week. It'll be interesting week after the results of this test, and uh, we've got the the golden boot, silver, bronze tarnished boot coming up. Uh, that'll be a good fun episode when that comes out. Looking like so, it's gonna yeah. be a good, a good week of podcast because we're gonna churn out another history episode too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to give a hint? A guest. Hmm. Give a hint for what the history one is. A hint. Yeah. Um, How could you give a hint without giving it away? One little lie. Oh, wow. Wow. A little lie in rugby league. One little lie and the the impact it had on the game. Ooh, okay. Okay. That's what we'll go with. Okay. Yeah. So, um, 
it's going to be good. And doing a bit of extra research on it because it's something that I have um, spoken about before. Um, I'm going to get some some extra gear to add to it and chuck that in there as well. So um, hopefully get to do that sometime next week. Yeah, it'll be good fun. I'll uh, I'll send you all of my research notes too that I've gathered together for that one. Oh, yeah, that's that's the one. Of, it looks like this uh, Word document that I was going to open up, which has got my show notes in it, which just says episode 108. <laughs> <laughs> preparation oh, is everything we do here. It's all preparation. Yeah, yeah, it's all prep. We look yeah. we, for this one. We looked at the score line and watched the game. We looked at the score line. And we're like, let's fire this bitch up. Yeah, then uh, Freaky starts talking at length about the game, and he, as is our common catchphrase, we're doing a podcast at the moment. Yeah, so. we did it about four or five times. Hey, it's yeah. pretty funny. We I can't started, stop ourselves. I started like talking about Great Britain. My eyes start rolling into the back of my head, and I'm like, we're doing a podcast, you know. It's like the it's the catchphrase we have that no one knows about because mm. only we say it to one another. Exactly. It's a uh, it's a good one. We should get it on a shirt. Yeah, maybe we should, we're doing a podcast now. Just yeah. put that on a shirt underneath as a slogan. We we'll put we we'll have to get some merch. We need to get merch out there. Yeah, we need to sort some merch. We'll get some uh, some stubby holders and cups and Shirts stickers and hats, and shit. hats. Yeah. Uh, all that sort of good stuff. We've got a website we can put on there too. Yeah, yeah, we'll sell it through there um, to all the good people. And we've also got on there, if you have a look, um, packages if you want to sponsor it. There's three different packages there. And so go and check those out. Yeah, check out our packages. There's um, there's a nice tight, teeny little package. There's a, a solid package in the middle, and then there's a big. big I feel inclined fat, to say. I feel inclined girthy. to say girthy. Yeah. <laughs> there's a big girthy package. You ah, want to check out the big girthy package? It's yeah. It's got some girth to it. Really feeling. <laughs> and on that note, we will say uh, thanks for tuning in. Um, get better, England, and. We'll catch you all later. <laughs>